When you talk about debate, most people's first thought is some type of heated disagreement where people are tearing apart each other's arguments. But in competitive debating, this is called refutation, which is essentially the process of answering your opponent's claims by pointing out their weaknesses or logical flaws. So, in this episode, we'll be sharing our thoughts on this process. Hey, everyone! Welcome to the Debate One Hundred One series of This Housewood, a podcast on all things debate related. I'm Nicole Chu, and I'm Noah Pino. Great. So today we'll be specifically talking about what is refutation and how do you refute slash or rebut an argument, and what are some different strategies and techniques that we use as debaters. I think refutation will make or break your case, and this is true on all positions in all formats. Everybody does it except for obviously the first speaker because you don't have anybody to refute but yourself, and don't do that. But you are always refuting the opposing side, so. You never knife your own side. You never knife your own partner. Or in British parliamentary, you never knife the other team that went before you. But refutation does require a lot of skill, more than just pointing out what's wrong with the point and just pointing out that the point is in some way in disagreement with you. So, how exactly do you rebut? Do you attack their logic, examples? Like, how do you respond to them? So, in my opinion, it's the same as how you build arguments.、Um, it's a combination of why the argument is true and why the argument is important. But because it's refutation, it'd be flipped. So, why their argument is untrue or why their argument is unimportant, or I guess comparatively, it's less important than your argument. And you could attack a lot of different ways to accomplish these goals. So, obviously, as Nicole mentioned, you could attack their logic. If there were obvious gaps, stuff like that, or if something doesn't actually follow, like they said, you can also find your own reasons. You can find a new reason in the debate why their argument isn't true. That you have, for example, maybe factual background knowledge. So it's not always internal to the other side's argument that you find the flaw. Sometimes you will have external information or ideas for how to answer that the point is untrue or unimportant as well. I guess you can say that a stronger refutation would be where you hit the crux of the opponent's arguments, rather than say their illustrations or examples. For instance, if they have a blatantly wrong example, that's something that you can definitely try to take down as well. But it's more important you take down, say, the logic or the main claim behind their argument. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, I always think that the best way to make sure. That you've refuted the point is to actually summarize at the end of your refutation why this means that the point falls. And if you can't answer that question for yourself, you probably didn't refute the crux or main idea for the argument. And if you did, congratulations by asking yourself out loud. It sounds really weird, like we do it all the time as debaters. We ask ourselves rhetorical questions about what the next step is. If you ask yourself why does this take down the whole argument, then the judge will write down on their page like that's why it takes down the whole argument. It's the same as any other argument or just in general where you should always summarize your idea by the end. So, what are some strategies that you use to refute? So, like I mentioned before, obviously the first strategy that you can always use is internal to their own point. So, if they are making huge leaps in logic or they have something that doesn't follow. There's something wrong with how they built the argument. You could point that out, and that's what a lot of people are very used to, like picking apart online arguments, especially where you'll find something wrong with what they have presented based on the analysis that they provided. But 
You're also obviously welcome to bring in your own ideas about why something is wrong too. So evidence that something does not happen the way that they say it happens, that is external to what they have said. For example, a fact that you might know, or maybe you're challenging how they said that an actor would behave, how they said that maybe a government would implement a policy. Those are all things that you're able to challenge in some way by bringing in your own ideas. The only thing to be careful with here is that you don't have it overlap with your own constructive arguments. If it does overlap with your constructives, that's okay. But just make sure that it's not a constructive argument that disagrees. It actually is an attack on the other side's point still. I think that's a really common mistake is for people to just say, no, that's wrong because it's the opposite of what we said and what we said is right. But that's, that's good. That's step one. But it's not refutation and it's not attacking the crux, like you said, Nicole. Yeah. So if we try to connect it to, say, academic writing, it's essentially like the counter argument portion or paragraph of that essay. So like what Noah was saying, you probably want to talk about why the other side of the your thesis is internally incorrect. And then you'd want to bring in other examples or real life illustrations on why your side is more correct. So in essence, once again, it's quite similar to academic essay writing. Yeah. And I think the most important thing to keep in mind too, is that when you're making these comparisons, you're going to have to provide some kind of comparison that shows why yours might be more likely or more true. That I think is a really important step to refutation as well. Yeah, so we can bring in definitely an example. So say we have the motion, uh, this house would ban child labor. And on side proposition, they argue that, or more like assume that once you ban child labor, every child can um, go back to school. Um, On side opposition, they can stand up and refute that argument by saying that, first of all, we think that is internally untrue. We think that is a false assumption because just because you ban child labor doesn't mean that every single student will have the ability or, yeah, essentially will be able to go back to school. And then you can bring in more real life practical illustrations by saying that actually there are some families where the only person that can bring in money, like who is the breadwinner, is the child. So that's why they need to find work and that's why they can't go to school. So that's just an example. Yeah. And you can see right in those examples how one of them doesn't require adding any information or any information from your side to the debate. So you can just attack them on their logic. The other one gives you the option to bring that in. And honestly, both are good. It's great to have multiple reasons to refute something. I think that it's always great to refute something one way and then say, but even if they're correct about that, or even if that point is still important, and then refute it on the other way. So I guess in more detail, what that means is you want to have more than one attack and you want to attack more than one proof or more than one component. Now, a mistake that I do see sometimes is like bringing it back to homegirl who is arguing about mom's cat allergies, eight-year-old talked about this house fan zoos. If you're a child of the pod, you will know what this means. And I heard like eight different examples of animals that need to migrate. Yes, that's like, but even if geese don't need to migrate, well, eagles need to migrate. Like, yes, correct. But like, what did you add? (laughs) So just make sure that when you're giving this layered refutation, you want to like vary your refutation so that you're not just providing multiple dunks on one thing, 
but you are refuting many different parts of the argument. I guess in the broadest terms, that would be why it's true and why it's important. But you might be able to point out flaws in multiple steps in the logic, but we don't need like seven flaws in one step of the logic. So look for that variety and make sure that you are offering lots of attacks on lots of points. But how exactly do you structure that refutation? So say you have three lines of attacks. So which one would usually come first and which one would go last? I say always start with your strongest. Start with the one that is the most damaging to the point. Then even if that's wrong, you have a backup. Even if that's wrong, you have another backup. It might also have to go sequentially. If you're describing multiple flaws in the logic, um, it might help you to go in order of how the argument was built. Just the judge can follow it really easily as well. That being said, you don't have to do your refutation of an entire speech in the order that they said it. If somebody made a principled argument and two practical arguments, you could attack the practical arguments first if that seemed to be the most important thing from their side and then deal with their principled argument at the end. Just in the same way that you want to have your strongest line of refutation to a single point first, you also want to have refutation either your strongest refutation or ideally the refutation to their strongest point at the start. And again, we can always scale this up one level. So just like you want to attack the crux of an argument, you also want to attack the crux of the entire case for the other side. So sometimes the crux of the entire case on the other side will be one particular argument. And that might be an indicator that you should refute that first. Great. So bringing back to an example, for instance, so uh, say this house would ban child labor again. And if we assume that a side proposition argued that every child would be able to go to school, we can layer it by saying, first of all, we think that is just inherently incorrect. That's point number one. Point number two, we can say, why is that? What is the external illustrations? We can say that because some families financially rely on the children to find work. And then we can go on to say, um, use the even if strategy that Noah was talking about and say, even if every child is able to go to school, what would happen to the businesses, for instance, third world countries and bring in other examples. So in essence, we start in the crux and then we can talk about later impacts. I think that's exactly right. And that brings in a great opportunity to do some weighing as well, because you'll often find that in most debates, if they're set up as a fair topic, the biggest points are the ones that are the most contestable. And the smallest points are the ones that are the hardest to prove wrong, right? Because in most debates, there's not going to be a very strong argument that is very easy to prove true or maybe even objectively true. That would be a bad motion. In the same way, you might encounter an opponent's side that has a few really strong arguments that are, you know, a bit shaky, had a lot of work to build them up, and some smaller arguments that are just obviously true. So if an argument is obviously true, then you just have to say, is this more important than what we are providing on our side, right? And that's called weighing. And you can use it in basically any speech for any purpose. But in refutation, that's actually a way that you can refute, is you can just compare those points and the value they have based on our ethical system in the debate. You can also do that in terms of when points are equally important. Nobody's going to dispute that a point about ending discrimination is ever unimportant, right? Like, obviously, any argument that's within that realm is going to be important. 
but how likely it is that impact, I guess, actually happens, or maybe how much difference it actually makes, those are things that you can still weigh out. So even if you are never going to be able to say, like, oh, I hope you're not trying to say in a debate round, like, oh, ending discrimination isn't important, right? What you would want to tackle is, well, does this policy actually make a difference? Because, you know, it would be great if it worked, but does it actually work? Yes or no. And then you might also want to attack, like, if it does work, how often does it work? Does it work only for a small set of maybe privileged women, for example, in a feminism motion? Or does it benefit all women? So you can see how you can kind of prod at weaknesses in the argument to work around things that you know not only you won't be able to refute successfully, but are just completely valid in the round. And there's nothing you can do about that. Most debates will have some arguments that are like this on both sides. It's also important to know how to milk those to your full advantage. But I think later on, we'll be talking more about how to boost up your own case. But just keep that in the back of your mind is that reputation is in a lot of ways, just exact foil to arguments. So you also want to attack the truth and the importance of the claim, just like you wanted to build it. And that means just like how you refute arguments and work around the fact that some of them might just be true, some of them might just be important, you still have the option when you're building arguments to really, really emphasize those points as well. And when you're defending those arguments from your partner. Great. I think that is a perfect place to wrap up this episode. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us for the Debate 101 series. Stay tuned for more on This House Wood. Please follow our podcast and our Instagram at THW Debate Podcast. Thank you.